0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gold Preach, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Joshua chapter 23, that's in the Old Testament. And um, Joshua chapter 23. We're going to look at a couple passages this morning, but I wanted to really start by saying that one of my struggles in life, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I don't really, you know, get frustrated a whole lot. Um, I, I mean, I get frustrated, but, but the, things that, that, that the simple things that frustrate me are really ridiculous. One of the things that frustrates me, the simple things, is menus at restaurants that are complicated so you know when you used to go to ihop i don't even know if ihop's around anymore locally i know it's not here but i used to go in there and i would have this instant panic attack on the inside it would never come out on the outside but on the inside i would be like no i have to choose between shrimp scampi filet mignon and pancakes and it's like that's a horrible choice to have to make. Why can't they just do pancakes is my question. But they had a they had a giant menu that made you choose what you were going to eat. And it wasn't like you had certain foods in the morning and certain foods for lunch and certain it was like all day every day this whole giant amount of food. Another one's the che- cheesecake factory. You ever been there? Pretty good food, but I have this panic attack On the inside when I go there because I open up the menu and they have literally 180 different items you can purchase to eat and my dilemma is this what if I choose wrong that's the problem what if I choose wrong what if what if I get the chicken but I should have got the beef ribs or what if I get and and so then you go to the dessert menu and you're like I really cannot handle this much pressure They've got 82 kinds of cheesecake. How can one decide? And so the obvious choice is just order them all. The problem is, even if you order them all, you still have to choose. Anybody else wrestle with that besides me? So I pretty much have, in my old age, gotten to the point where I go to the old standbys. I give myself a few moments to look at the menu. And if you go to lunch with me or dinner, you know that I'm going to do this at some point. Y'all stop talking. Let's focus on the menu. Let's focus on the menu, make a choice, then we can chat. Because I went to lunch the other day with a guy, and we we were talking, and the waitress came by three times. And I'm like, dude, stop talking. Let's decide. Then we can talk. And so what I do is I go to what I'm used to. I go to what I've already experienced there in the past because I know what I'm going to get. Does anybody do that besides me? I give myself a limit of time, and then I say, you know what? I know the history of the number one combo at Chick-fil-A. It has never steered me wrong, so give me a number one, and let's move on through the line. It sounds silly, but the reality is we have to make these choices every day. All throughout life. We make these choices with family. We make these choices with work. We make these choices with friends. But there's one choice or one spectrum of choice. Or one place where we have to make a choice on a daily basis. And that choice is the most important choice of all. And it is this. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Joshua chapter 23, Joshua is leading the people of Israel, and he is, he is in one of those apex moments, those, those times where he's about to deliver a word from God and a charge from God, and his, 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 um, his words are, are going to be, the, the decision of what to do with his words are going to direct the next generation of people it was that important and i would say to you today what we're saying here today is as important as it was back in joshua chapter 23 because you have to choose this day whom you will serve you can't choose tomorrow who you will serve because you got to choose today tomorrow you got to choose today today does that make any sense in other words each and every day you must choose how do you choose what do you choose what are your choices in John, uh, Joshua chapter 23, verse 1, the scripture says this After a long time, or excuse me, a long time after the Lord had given Israel rest from all the enemies around them, Joshua was old, advanced in age. And so Joshua summoned all of Israel, including its elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and said to them, I am old and I am advanced in age. And you have seen for yourselves everything the Lord your God did to all those nations on your account, because it was the Lord your God who was fighting for you. "'See, I have allotted those remaining nations to you as an inheritance for your tribes, "'including all the nations I have destroyed from the Jordan westward to the Mediterranean Sea. "'The Lord your God will force them back on your account and will drive them out before you "'so that you can take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. "'So be strong and continue to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses "'so that you do not turn from it to the right or the left.'" And so that you do not associate with these other nations remaining among you. And do not call on the names of their gods or make an oath to them. Do not serve them or bow in worship to them. Instead, be loyal to the Lord your God as you have been loyal to this day. Break. So what's going on here is, is there's going to be two meetings. The first meeting is with the elders and the officers and the leaders of the nation. The second meeting in Joshua 24 is going to be with the entire nation. The first leading of just the leaders is to ensure that the leaders are going to lead the people correctly. The leaders are the ones who are older and more wise. And they're the ones who have been through it before. The next group of people are the next generation. They're the ones who are going to have to carry the mantle of the leaders of today. And so Joshua carries, brings all of these people, all of the leaders to one place in Joshua chapter 23, and he, and, and the scripture begins by saying this, a long time after the Lord had given Israel rest from all the enemies around them. That gives us a clue as to the heart and to the nature of what's going on in these people. It had been 14 years at this point since God delivered the Israelites from Canaan, 14 years. After 14 years of peace and tranquility and safety and blessing and security, what tends to happen? We tend to get a little soft. We tend to get a little um, um, less um, excited. We tend, we tend to become more familiar. You know the old saying of familiarity breeds Contempt. It happens in marriage, it happens in families, it happens in work, it happens everywhere in our life. But because there was peace and because there was safety, there was the potential for the people of God to lower their arms a little bit, to lower their guard, and to kind of just skate through the rest of their time. So he's addressing two groups. He's addressing the leaders first, and then he's going to address the entire nation. He addresses the leaders because these are the ones who have been carrying the weight of the people Up to this point, these are the ones who would have a firsthand knowledge of who God is and what God had done. And because they were leaders, what they did, the people would do. He said to them, He was old and advanced in years. Well, the Bible says he was old and advanced in years. He'll say later on he's old. He was essentially saying, I'm on my way out. How old was he? He was 110 years old. And here's the cool thing about Joshua. I don't see any black marks on his record. I don't see any place where Joshua would go back and say, You know, I have regrets. It's everything I can read about Joshua in the scripture is that he served the Lord faithfully and with integrity and with wholehearted compassion and passion for 110 years. And on his way out, he calls the people together and he says, Hey, we need to make a decision here. Leaders, you need to lead in the way that you've been walking. So the indication is not that they were slipping, but the indication is there's the potential to slip. And isn't it true that the longer we serve the Lord, or excuse me, the more peace God gives us, the easier it is to just kind of start skating and scooting? Don't you know that the easier things are, the wealthier you are, the more comfortable you are, the less passionate you can possibly become? Not everybody, but it's easy to get complacent when you don't have to fight for anything. Is this true or not true? It's very true. It's true with the body, right? The easier it is to grab a bowl of ice cream easier it is to be complacent about it. When you don't have to have the body to work hard for the job that you do, if you you move from an outside job to a desk job, what happens? Right? Why? Because the complacency has caused you to get off of your routine. It's caused you to not be so diligent, and it's caused you to just let things go and let things slide. And so Joshua's saying, don't do that. As he grabbed them all together, he said, I am old, I'm advanced in age. And then he says, you have seen for yourselves everything the Lord your God did to all these nations on your account. And then he goes on to say, you have received part of what God promised, but there's more. We have received part of what God has promised, but there's more. We are not in our final state. We are not done. We are not complete. We haven't reached all that God has intended for us to reach. We've reached some, and that's good. But there are countless thousands, maybe even millions more that God has intended for, uh, to, to hear the gospel through you and me that we have not yet come into, uh, to an encounter with. And the question that I sit before you today is this. Will you choose to be faithful to the Lord, or will you choose to not be faithful? Will you choose to move out in faith and do all that God has called us to do? Or will you sit back and say, well, I think we've done enough? You know, it's amazing to me how some people in my life who who I consider mentors and friends, how they are advanced in age and yet they they are working as hard and as fast now as they have ever worked before in their entire life. Some of these men I look to and I say, when I get to be your age, and I always tell them that too, by the way, I remind them, they're old men, jokingly and you know, gently, of course, but it, it's, it, it's one of those things where you're looking at them and saying, aren't you at the time where you're supposed to buy a motorhome and just travel? I mean, aren't you at the time where you're supposed to buy, buy a lazy boy and sit back? Aren't you at the time when you're supposed to just pass on the torch and let somebody else do the hard work? And what they have demonstrated, not just with their words, but with their life, is this. I am old, and it is far more painful for me to do what I used to be able to do, but I do not want to fizzle out. I want to burn out. I want to flame out. I want to use every single thing that God has placed in me for the glory of God. And on my way out, I want to go out (laughs) <laughs> you know, you've, you've seen that thing, I want to slide into home and, you know, fire behind. That's their, that's their attitude. And it's amazing because their bodies are not what they used to be. All of these guys, when I talk to them, they're like, oh, man, it took me so long to get up today. You know, I, I can work hard for three days, then I got to rest for two weeks And it's frustrating because because they can't do what they did, but, but in their heart they have not lost the passion and they have not lost the desire, and they obviously have chosen Jesus as their life's work. And it saddens me sometimes when I look at other people who have incredible blessing and they're just kind of scooting by and skating by. And I wonder to myself, when they stand before the Father, will they stand before Him with a small, tiny crown when they could have had a ginormous crown? By the way, you know what we're going to do with our crowns when we stand before the Father? We're going to lay them at His feet. A crown is all about what we have done in the name of, the, uh, of Jesus and, and, and a crown is the, is the glory and, and it, that God gives to us for our obedience and our faithfulness, but it's not for our sake, it's so that we can present it to Jesus and say, this was my life. And I look at these older men and I think to myself, that's how I want to be, don't you? Don't you want to be the kind of man or the kind of woman whose passion never fades, but it only grows as you get older? The kind of, uh, there's a man named Frank Baggett. Some of you know him, some of you don't. He died a handful of years ago. I think he was 92 or 93 when he died. But up till his very last breath, he was passionate about the gospel. I used to get calls from him all the time and he would mentor me and encourage me in pastoring this church. And what I loved about him is that even though he couldn't do what he used to could do, you could tell that he was just as... as as uh, as hot-hearted for the gospel as he had ever been. And I said to myself, I want to be like Frank. In fact, his daughter gave me his nameplate that went on his desk, and I have it in my office today, as a reminder of the kind of man that I want to be when I can no longer walk, when I can no longer sleep, when I can no longer read when i can no longer do any of those other things that i can perfectly do now well i'm not so perfectly anymore but you know what i mean but you see age only limits your ability it should not limit your passion here's what i think god does through this though i think that god uses the limiting of our ability and the hotness of our passion as a way of shifting our role to where we are no longer so much the hands-on doer, but we are now the motivator and the encourager and the one who's passing on the torch or passing on the faith so that someone else can do it. I had this conversation yesterday with a friend of mine. We were talking about cleaning fish and how he was learning to clean fish. And I told him, I said, listen... We, you know, we, we fished a, a lot in the last several years, and, and um, I used to be in the cleaning shed, cleaning and fish, and I would, I would ask Josh to help, and, and I would take the knife away pretty quickly because it would drive me nuts to leave fish on the fish. You know what I mean? I mean, if you didn't get every single ounce of, of meat off of the bone, it was like this disaster that was happening. I said, what I realized is, as long as I was in the shed, he was never going to learn to clean fish. So I literally had to help him bring it in. We'd sit it up on the counter. We'd have a nice little talk about what needed to be done, and I'd say, I'll be back when you're done cleaning fish. Because I was always taking the knife from him. I had to leave, and I had to let him take over which meant there was going to be fish. I didn't even want to look at the carcass by the way. I just like, don't even show me the carcass. just but here's what's happened. He's become faster, not as proficient, but pretty proficient as me now cleaning fish. And he'll argue that till he's blue in the face. But the truth is, my role had to shift. I had to recognize it, and I had to step out, but it didn't change my passion. I'm still just as passionate now about getting everything off the fish, but it's now I just don't have to do it by myself. See the goal of you as a believer. Is to mature in your faith and is to love jesus more as you're old not less as you're old and your passion gets larger and bigger and your worldview um, uh, get, gets 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 more solid but your view for the world gets larger and you know you can't do it but what you can do is motivate the generations to come and give them that passion because here's what i know about passion passion is caught more than it's taught passion is taught more than it's caught my question to you is this Are you passionate about Jesus? Have you chosen this day whom you will serve? Now, how do you know what you're passionate for? You know, there's a, passion, a, a, a passage in Scripture in Revelation chapter 3, and it's Jesus speaking to the church at Laodicea. And here's what he says He says, I know your works, but you are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. In other words, you don't have passion. It's just something you do. I'm just another part of your life. I'm just an added benefit. I'm just an extra. He says, I wish that you were one or the other. I wish that you were hotter. I wish that you were cold. But because you're lukewarm, it makes me want to vomit. That's pretty harsh, don't you think? But that's what Jesus said. What was he saying? He was saying, look, be all in or be all out. Let the passion that you have for the gospel truly be all-consuming so that your entire life is wrapped up in what God has intended for you to be and who he's intended to be through you. We're really talking about how your story will be written. We're really talking about who you're living for and who you will love. What we're really talking about is what kind of dent in the universe are you going to make or what kind of hindrance to the kingdom of God Will you be? And look, this isn't about guilting you into anything. This is about hoping that you will realize that there's a reason to give Jesus all of your everything every single moment, morning and every single evening. There's a reason that God has called you to total and complete surrender. And that reason is this. He is supremely worthy in every way. And no one even comes close to His worth. ...when it comes to whether or not you should love him partially or completely. As Joshua speaks to the people... ...he gives them an idea of what it looks like... ...to follow after God with all of their heart. In verse 6 he says, "...be very strong and continue obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses... ...so that you do not turn from it to the right or the left... ...and so you do not associate with the nations remaining among you... Do not call on the names of their gods or make an oath to them. Do not serve them or bow to worship them. Instead, be loyal to the Lord your God as you have been to this day. In other words, you've been loyal in the past and you're loyal now, but do not stop. Get more passionate. Be more loyal. Be more committed. You say, well, well, isn't enough enough? Well, you tell me, is loving your wife a certain amount enough? Honey, I love you. But I'm, I'm at the top of my love. I don't think I can love you anymore. I don't recommend you saying that, by the way. Honey, I like spending time with you, but I'm, I'm kind of at my limit. Okay, we've all said that at some point, let's be honest. Maybe not said that, said that, but we've said that, said that, right? No, of course not. You know what happens when you love somebody? Your love begins to change and you start to love them more deeply and more fully and your love for them means that you desire to be with them and the desire to be with them supersedes and overcomes your desire to do or be with anyone or anything else. And that is, that's the way it is with our love for God. The way that we are to choose to follow Jesus is we're to do it with strength, and we're to do it with obedience, but the ability to do it with strength and courage and obedience comes through two simple, easy steps. Two steps. Number one, diligently, it's in verse 11, diligently watch yourselves, and number two, love God. That's it. The way that you are all that you have been designed to be in Christ Jesus is you watch yourself and you love God. Those two things, as simple as they are, will lead to a relationship that has depth that will cause you to be all that God has designed you to be. So let's look at this. In verse 11. So diligently watch yourselves. What is he saying? He's saying to the people, take note of your life. Watch yourselves means in every way. The things you think about, the things that you do, the places you go, the kind of, the way you treat people, um, your responses, your reactions, all of those things. Watch yourselves. It's the same way that you would act if you are trying to become healthy. If you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to have more energy. I recently, as you might know, went on a health journey of my own, and I have lost about 15 pounds or so. But do you know a habit that I have established? And I'm not sure if this is a habit you're supposed to do or not, but this, is, this for me, is what I need to stay healthy. And it's not, you know, less sugar and all that, but that's not the key. For me, the key is this. When I wake up in the morning, within the first five or ten minutes of getting out of bed... One of the first things I do is I walk into the bathroom, I pull out that little glass scale and I step on it. And I, and I watch the numbers. Because I know what I'm supposed to weigh. And if that number doesn't match what I know I'm supposed to be, then I know that I have to eat one less donut for the day. Or I have to skip the number one and I need to go for the number three because it's grilled and healthier. And, you know, it's funny, but is that not the way it goes? But I also know that if it's below that number, I might be able to have an extra brownie at dinner. I know that's probably not the right way, but for me, what that number is, is that's my, that's my, 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 my reflection of this is where you are. So to watch your oh, and then in the evening before I go to bed, I do the same thing. I weigh. And I'm like, okay, Cool. Did pretty good today. Now, again, I know people, you're probably not supposed to do that, but for me, I want to know my start and my finish for the day. And here's what I've discovered about me. I lose some weight while I'm sleeping. Woo! That's the best diet plan on the planet. Drink water, sleep, lose weight, boom, done. I know, strange, isn't it? But you know what those numbers are? The beginning of the day and the end of the day? it's a telltale for me of how i've done and if i see those numbers can i'm not really worried about one day by the way i should clarify that one day i'm not worried about i'm worried about a trend if in the morning i see that number increasing .2 .6 1 if i see that increasing and it doesn't go down then i say to myself I've got to make a change. There's something wrong somewhere in my life. And for you and for me to watch ourselves diligently in our faith means that we're also looking at how we're doing and we're saying, look, I see a trend that is not a good trend. You want to know, in our culture today, you have so many choices of what to do with your time, so many choices. You must choose each and every day what to do with your choices. When it comes to gathering together, that's a choice, isn't it? How easy is it to wake up and go, you know, I kind of don't feel like it today. But then the next week you're like, you know, I kind of don't feel like it today. And before long you look back and you're like, man, I haven't been with God's people in a month or two months. I don't know about you, but I can't do that. You want to know why? Because I actually love you. I want to be with you. I want to see your smiling face. Now, obviously, if I'm, if I'm gone somewhere out of town or whatever, but even then I still try to tune in. Why? Because I believe that we are connected beyond just a meeting. We are connected in the gospel, and we're connected in vision and in purpose, and God has something that he's doing in us that he's doing on a daily basis and a weekly basis. And when I get, get disconnected, it's harder and harder and harder for me to turn around and come back. So I watch myself and I remind myself that I must choose. That's just one example. But you can go with any example, really, can't you? You can go with what you listen to, um, where you go, you can go with how you talk, all of these things, right? Choose you this day. And you choose by looking and saying, How am I doing? How am I doing? Listen, I'm not saying that you should be uh, legalistic. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you should use guilt and manipulation. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that this comes out of the second thing, love God. And because you love God, you're keeping an eye on how you're doing because how you're doing is a reflection of your love for God. And it's kind of this circle. Let me show you how this works, okay? When you first come to Christ Jesus, you love God, let's be honest, because of you. I know I did. My, when I was born again, I was born again because I did not want to go to hell. Anybody else? The thought of hell was frightening to me. I was 15 years old. I recognized that I did not know Jesus, and I knew that because I didn't know Jesus, even though I was religious, I still was going to be separated from him for all of eternity, and I didn't want to be born again so that I would have a relationship with God for the relationship, I wanted to be born again, so I did not spend eternity in hell. So I gave my life to Christ. Now, truthfully as I can be, I don't care what God does with me. I don't care where he sends me. I don't care how I die, when I die, none of that matters. I just wanna be pleasing to God the Father. Because here's what's happened. I, I fell in love with Jesus because he was beautiful. Now I love Jesus because he's worthy. There's a difference. The moment you married your spouse, if you're married, you married them probably because they looked good. At least I hope that was part of the deal, right? I always joke with people when, we, when, when I'm doing a wedding to try to break the ice. I'm like, take a good look at the person you're marrying right here. It's the best they will ever look. They spent more money and more time on this look right here than they will the rest of your married life. Everybody likes to joke, you know, laugh and stuff, but it's true. I mean, when do you spend six hours putting on your face, right? Or when do you stand for 12 hours in front of a mirror making sure your button bow tie is correctly? By the way, I didn't do that, and my pictures now show it 27 years later. Nobody in my wedding party apparently wanted to tell me that my t- bow tie was crooked. I look like Alfred E. Newman. It's horrible. And I weighed about 150 pounds, and it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, horrible, horrible. And they didn't do the airbrush stuff then. They just, you know, what you were is who you are. So when you marry your, your spouse, you're thinking to yourselves, oh, right? I mean, you got that, that, that thing going on, right? And then 10 years later, you look and you're like, hey, uh, you know, I got us a gym membership for Thanksgiving, Right? I mean, you're kind of gently trying to, I mean, I'm just saying. And then 20 years later, you're like, hey, it's our anniversary. Maybe we should think of some things, right? And here's the truth of the matter. Nobody is more beautiful when they're old than when they're young. Nobody. I'm going to prove it to you right here. Look at your high school yearbook and then go to a, a reunion, right? That's not, I'm kind of joking on that, but here's the thing your body changes, right? Your, your, your wrinkles kind of start to show up a little bit. Your, your hair gets a little bit less um, um, pure colored, right? You got bumps and dumps and stuff going on, right? But when you're married to somebody that you learn to love, you no longer love them because they're beautiful. You love them because they're beautiful. You love them because you know them. When God says, or when Joshua says to the people that we're to love God, what he's saying is this, we need to love God with a mature love, not with a childlike love. Uh, not with a selfish love. How do you love God? Do you love Him because of what He does for you? Or do you love Him because of who He is? I mean, He does for you, right? You you get from Him, but it's not about getting from Him. It's about who He is. And the more that you know Him, the more you love Him. And the more you love Him, the more you know Him. Just like it is with a husband and a wife, or how it should be. The more I love my wife, the more I want to spend time with her, and the more I spend time with her, the more she wants to kill me. But, no, I'm just kidding. Does that make sense, though? Turn to the person next to you. Just ask them, what kind of love do you have for Jesus? That's a hard question, because Because we have the, the kind of love that we want to have, the aspirational love, but then we also have the reality of love. How do you know how you love Jesus? You know how much you love Jesus by where your treasure is. Jesus said it this way, Where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. So if you want to find out how you love Jesus, just look at what you treasure. Some of us, that might be hard. And then some of us, it may not. I can tell you this. I am constantly battling what I treasure. Are you? I am constantly wrestling with who I love. Because I know who I want to love, but see, I've got this thing called the flesh that wants to love other things. And God says, Love me. So in chapter 23, we have the story of Joshua saying to the people of, or to the leaders of God that they have got to decide who they're going to love and how they're going to serve. But then there's the bad news in verse 9. The Lord has driven out great and powerful nations before you. No one is able to stand against you to this day. One of you has routed a thousand because the Lord your God was fighting for you as He promised. And so diligently, verse 11, we just talked. Watch yourselves. Love the Lord your God. But if ever you turn away from and become loyal to the rest of these nations remaining among you, and if ever you intermarry and associate with them, and they with you, know for certain. Wait a minute. That's pretty strong. Know for certain. Your God will not continue to drive these nations out before you. They will become a snare and a trap for you, a sharp stick for your sides and your thorns and your eyes until you disappear From this good land, the Lord your God has given you. So in other words, he says to them the same thing that was said before. I set before you blessings and cursings. You can choose to follow after God, or you can choose to follow after the treasures of this world. You cannot choose both. If you follow after God, the blessings that come from that will follow. If you follow after the treasures of the earth, the the curses of that will follow as well. Now we have to understand that this is a covenant that God made with the Israelites, it's not exactly the same covenant He makes with us because we have a new covenant. Our covenant is with Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus. But the principle, to a degree at least, is still the same. There is a price for disobedience. There is a price for disobedience, and we don't want to ever talk about that, but you cannot snub your nose or snub your face at God and expect that He's just going to continue to bless you because fathers don't do that if they love their children. Disobedience brings discipline. Perhaps some of you in this room are going through times and it's, it's not an act of judgment, but it's an act of, diso- it's an act of, of uh, discipline from God. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I'm saying you ought to consider that. You ought to think about that, because when we can go away from God, God does what He needs to do to draw us in, and sometimes that discipline hurts, but it's always because He loves us. Let me give you an example. So, um, my dogs are mad at me right now. I have three dogs. Uh, It doesn't matter what their names are. Three dogs. They're not happy with me at all. Here's why. They have a marvelous home on the back porch in the whole yard, but... A day or so ago, I confined them to a 6 by 10 kennel. I built a chain link fence around this thing and I put a, put a door and I actually, uh, they're sleeping there, living there. Why? Because I've got a flea issue in my yard that's killing me. I mean, i put everything known to man. I've done everything I can possibly do and I just cannot kill the fleas. And so, here's what I said, you know. The only way to keep these dogs safe and not driving where they're driving themselves nuts is to give them a really good bath with the flea stuff and put them in a place that I've treated really, really heavy. And then I can do the work on the rest of the yard, and hopefully that will kill the problem. Y'all following me here? Gulf breeze is horrible for fleas. And see, I hate pesticides too, and so I've always been... Like, I don't want to spray my yard with pesticides, but I don't want my dog scratching. And so it's been this this thing back and forth. So I confine them to this kennel, and they think I'm mad at them. They say, they're like, why do you hate me? What did we do wrong? You put us in this jail. The truth is, I'm trying to love them the best that I can. I'm trying to help them the best that I can. And the only way truly to help them is to confine them so that I can deal with what needs to be dealt with. In your life and in my life, God does the same thing. Sometimes it's because of disobedience and sometimes it's because God just needs to do that to take care of some other things in our life. But nevertheless, the point is the same. Amen? So, Joshua says to the the leaders... If you're obedient and if you, if you follow God's Word, the book of the law, He will continue to bless you. But if you choose not to, then you'll have to deal with the consequences of that as well. Then He goes on, He says, verse 14, I am now going the way of the whole earth. I, and you know with all your heart and with all your soul that none of the good promises the Lord God made to you has failed. Everything was fulfilled for you, not one promise has failed. Since every good thing the Lord your God promised you has come out, so He will bring on you every bad thing until He has annihilated you from this good land that the Lord God has given you. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God, which He commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow and worship to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly disappear from this good land He has given you. In other words, blessings and cursings now again this is an old testament passage but the principle is the same you cannot be disobedient to the lord and expect that god is just going to continue to bless you all right so chapter 24 we're not going to go through the whole thing because of time but here's what happens god speaks to the leaders He, he he gets them on the right page Then chapter 24, the Bible says that he called the entire nation to Shechem. That's the same place that the first covenant was made with Abraham. Generations before. And he begins by saying, there's a history. He says to them, this is what... The God of Israel says, Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, lived beyond the Euphrates and worshipped other gods. His, His starting point was before the covenant was ever first made. Then he goes on to talk about how God made a covenant with Abraham. And then that covenant was carried out through Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Esau and all of these guys all the way up to the present time. And so follow me here. This present time is looking back on the covenant that was originally made, but that was renewed each and every generation. Chapter 24 is the next generation of leaders and uh, people. And they had to renew the covenant that was made with their fathers. Here's what this means for us. We can't just ride on the faithfulness of the people that have gone before us over here the faithfulness of god's people in the past has brought us to this point we are here because they were faithful but they are going to die eventually i told them that this morning it was no surprise to any of us because i actually didn't say you i said we because some of us in this room are in that same category right all of us eventually are going to take our last breath and we're, we will be no more. We'll be gone. We will be either be with Jesus for eternity or we'll be separated from Him for all of eternity. But one day, all of us will be gone, some of us sooner than others. But the next generation that comes after us is going to pick up that mantle and they're going to carry on the faith and continue to build what God started so many years ago. And here's the word of the Lord to the people of Israel. This new covenant was this. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Make a choice. He says, if serving the gods of your forefathers, in other words, before there was a covenant made, if that is the way you want to go, go that way. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, don't serve Him. But choose. But as for me and my house, Joshua says... We will serve the Lord. I think we're out of time. I wish I could share with you a little bit more about how to do that. But I think you kind of get the point. For those of us who are old in this room, we need to finish strong. Amen? We need to finish strong. I hope I'm, I hope I'm just, just limping across the finish line because I gave everything I possibly had on the field. Why? Because I want those who are younger than me to say, that's who I want to be like. That's the kind of faith that I want. That's the kind of hope that I want inside of my heart. That's the kind of evidence of the goodness of God I want to display. I want to be a man Who will cause people to be inspired to the kingdom of god to do greater things that i could ever possibly do i want people to stand up and 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 be all that god has created them to be because my life was faithful and that's not arrogance and ego talking that's a desire to give jesus all of the worth and all of the honor and all of the glory that he so rightly deserves After all, it would be selfish of me to say, oh, I don't really want to make a dent in the universe. I just want to kind of make it through. No, God has called us for more than that. He has called us to live faithful and in doing so inspire generation upon generation for the kingdom of God.